Father, you've heard our prayer. Please come into our hearts now, Lord, as we open your sacred word. For our mere intellect will not be able to handle what you want to speak to each one individually. Father, please do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And please give us the gift of your spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. These next few days, we're going to be delving deeply into the Word of God. I pray that you don't believe anything I say. Is that all right? I pray that you have pen, paper, Bible, and I don't want you to become a follower of Andre Waller or anyone else. We want to be followers of Jesus. Is that right? And because we want to be followers of Jesus, we must make sure that there is a sure foundation for what we believe. We're going to be covering the subject tonight, the judgment is set. And I promise you we won't finish this subject. This subject is too vast and too deep, and by God's grace we're going to cover it in an angle maybe that you've never covered it before. I want you to look at this quotation before we begin. You can see it there. When we as a people understand what this book means to us, there will be seen among us a what? A great revival. We do not understand fully the lessons that it teaches, notwithstanding the injunction given to us to search and study it. I wonder what book this is that we're supposed to study. You probably already know. Let's look. It says, when the books of Daniel and what? Daniel Revelation are better understood, believers will have an entirely different religious experience. What kind of experience? Entirely different. Why would there need to be an entirely different religious experience, friends? They will be given, they will be given such glimpses of the open gates of heaven that heart and mind will be impressed with the character that all must develop in order to realize the blessedness which is to be the reward of the pure in heart. When the books of Daniel and Revelation are studied as they should be, they will see glimpses of heaven. And they will see when they look in those portals of those pages, there's a character that must be had. I wonder... What is this character, and what is it that we are to see? I want you to notice this quotation. I thought when I read this, it blew my mind. Now notice, it says here, the theme of greatest importance. What does greatest mean? Most. There's nothing greater. Is that right? The theme of greatest importance is the third angel's message. The theme of greatest importance. Hmm, interesting. Embracing the first and second angels. All. How much is all? That's everybody and everyone. All should understand the truths contained in these messages and demonstrate them in daily life. I wonder, have you ever read the first, second, and third angels message 
and looked at them and said, okay, well, how can I demonstrate the third angel's message in my daily life? Curious thought. Notice what else it says. We shall have to study earnestly, prayerfully, in order to understand these grand truths, and our power to learn and comprehend will be taxed to what? Anybody ever lift weights in here before? I used to lift weights back in the day, and you know, it's interesting. They say you don't build any muscle until you get to the last rep when you really can't push it. Push it. You know about that? bit. Do you understand that when you study the Word of God, when we study the Bible, sometimes friends, we are very superficial, and we know we know what we know, but we don't know nothing. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't tax our minds. Some of you today, when I open the Bible, won't even open the Bible. You know why? Because we think we know. I've heard it before. Beloved, I tell you the truth. Last few years of earth's history, God would have a people who are called the people of the book. In these last few hours of earth's history, friends, there will be a people that would rather die than be I want us to look at a verse here. Psalms 37. Open your Bible. Open your Bible to Psalms 37 and verse 20. Psalms 37. Look at verse 28, and when you have it, just say amen. And hopefully tomorrow I can have a dry erase board where I can do some artistic work. Here. Psalms 37 and verse 28, I want you to look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, for the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Now, I read that verse. I asked myself the question, why does God love judgment? Why does the God of heaven love judgment while the people of God fear it? Did you hear what I asked you? Why does God love? If you love something, you love it, you pull it close to your bosom. It's something that's very important to you. The Bible says that God loves judgment. The people of God don't love judgment. And hopefully by the next few days, as we walk through our study together, we'll see why God loves judgment, friends. But before we go any further, go with me to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. And we're going to read the, one of the pillar, pillar verses that we've ever read in our Adventist experience in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14. Daniel 8 and verse 14. When you have it, say amen. Daniel 8 verse 14, the Bible says, And he sent unto me unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be what? Daniel 7 verse 9 and 10. Daniel 7, verses 9 and 10. Notice what the Bible says here. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was as the fiery flame, 
and his wheels as what? A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were what? Remember now, I ask you the question, why does God love judgment? Go with me now to the book of Revelation. And we're going to answer this question going from the beginning and going from the beginning to the end of time. Revelation chapter 12 and beginning at verse 1, notice here what the Bible says. Revelation 12 and verse 1. The Bible says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of how many stars? And she being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of what? And did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, you guys are all Adventists, right? Amen, most of you. Simple Bible question. Who's the dragon? What Bible verse tells you that? There are some good answers and there are some uh, iffy ones. And then there was silence in uh, some of you. All right, let's look at 12. Verse, look at verse 7 through 9. Notice what the Bible says here in Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9. And there was war where? War in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore where? In heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth how much of the world? And he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. The Bible says that the dragon is the devil and Satan, and there was war in Curious. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. Please keep your finger in Revelation. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. I wonder what else is in heaven. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 and beginning at verse 15. Notice what the Bible says. Remember, there was war in heaven. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 15, we start at verse 14 just for a little bit of context. It says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven. Wait a second. There's a family in heaven? Did you guys hear that? The Bible says that there's a family in heaven. Where was their war at? In heaven. So there was a family dispute in heaven. Well, let's go a little closer. Let's look more carefully. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. The dragon is that old serpent, the devil, Satan. Isaiah chapter 14, and we're beginning at verse number 12. Isaiah 14, and beginning at verse number 12. Remember, I asked you the question why does God love judgment? Don't forget that question. Revelation 14, and beginning at verse 12, the Bible says, How art thou fallen from where? Heaven. 
from heaven. Interesting. How did you get kicked out of the family of heaven? How did you get put out of heaven? Notice. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did is weaken the nations? How did you get kicked out of heaven? How did you get kicked out of the family? How did you get kicked out? And not only did you get kicked out, but how did you weaken the nations? I want you to ask that question. We're going to answer that tonight. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also in the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like what? Okay, you guys heard this. You've been in evangelistic meetings. You know this answer already. What's his problem in these verses? His eye problem. Lucifer has an eye problem. He's in the very presence of God, the mountain of God. He's in the family of God, in the family of heaven. And the Bible says he got kicked out of heaven. He has an eye problem. But I want us to look a little more carefully. Go with me to the book of Proverbs. Remember, we asked the question, how did he get put out? How did he weaken the nations? The book of Proverbs, chapter 14, and verse 34. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34. And when you have it, please say amen. amen. Proverbs 14 and verse 34. Notice what the Bible says here. Righteousness exalteth a nation. Hmm. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. What exalts a nation, friends? According to this verse, what, is it, what exalts a nation? Righteousness. Righteousness exalts a nation. What did the Bible ask the question about Lucifer? How did you what? Weaken the nations. If the nations are weakened, there is an attack on righteousness. Are you listening to me, friends? Go a little further. Go with me to the book of Psalms. What book did I say? Psalms. Psalms, chapter 97. Psalms 97, and looking carefully at verse number 2. Psalms 97, and looking carefully at verse number 2. When you have it, just say amen. The Bible says in Psalms 97, verse 2, clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. If you have a new King James Version, it says righteousness and judgment are the foundation of his throne. Listen carefully what I'm talking to you about. The Bible says, Lucifer, how did you weaken the nations? You were put out, you had an eye problem. The Bible tells us that righteousness exalts a nation. Is that right? Then it says that righteousness is the very foundation of God's throne. It tells me then that Lucifer made an attack on the throne. You're not listening to me. 
It tells me that Lucifer came up against the commandments and the judgments of God. In fact, go with me to Psalms 119, 172. Psalms 119 and 172. Psalms 119 and 172. And notice here what the Bible says. Psalms 119, 172, notice what the scripture says. It says, my tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are what? Interesting. Righteousness exalts the nation. Satan weakens the nations. He attacks the very foundation, the very government of God. He attacks God's law. Yea, let me tell you something else. The Bible tells us. Go to Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel 28. The book of Ezekiel chapter 28 and beginning at verse 12. Ezekiel 28 and beginning at verse 12. The Bible says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou stillest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This is Lucifer. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and the gold. The workmanship of thy taverns and of thy pipes was prepared in thee. The day that thou wast created, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Question. What is the anointed covering cherub? What is a cherub? You tell me. What is a cherub? A cherub is an angel. Is that right? A cherub is an angel. The Bible doesn't just say he's a cherub. It says that he's an anointed covering cherub. That gives him a special place. The last time I checked, the anointed covering cherub resided in this picture you see on the screen. Resides in the sanctuary. In this sanctuary, you know this model already. You have the holy place right here, the holy place. You have the most holy place. Is that right? You see there in that most holy place segment here? These are the anointed covering cherubs. These are the angels that are in the very presence of God. These are the angels that had access to the most intimate knowledge of who God was. You're not listening to me right now. These angels, in the very presence of God, the Bible says that Lucifer was an anointed covering cherub, and he got there because God set him there. Now, I thought about this. I was thinking about this more and more, and I thought, and I thought, and I thought. And yesterday, it came strong to me. I was walking in the airport, my wife and I, my wonderful, beautiful daughter, we walked into the airport, and normally when you go into the airport, you don't hear any music. We walked into the airport, and all we heard was ding, 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 ding. And my wife, an islander as she is, was able to discern that this was island music. And I said, well, that's weird. And as we continued to walk in the, in the airport, we saw that there were half-naked women dancing in the airport. Now, I don't normally see things like this, you understand. And my daughter was there with me, and my wife is there. And not only were there half-naked women, there was this tall guy on these stilts almost hitting the ceiling, and they were all dancing. My daughter became afraid. 
She never seen anything like that. We, we live in a mountain. We don't live down there with those, those things. And she came, and she, she came next to her mom. Mom picked her up. We walked real quick, tried to check, you know, get through our luggage and check and all that. We thought we were clear. Got to checkpoint, put our bags through the machine, got to the other side, and there were more half-naked women. I said, Lord, have mercy. So we literally, you guys don't understand, we literally ran past them. I didn't want my daughter to see this. Didn't want to see it myself. Got past it, went and sat down. We sat down in the airport, and we're sitting there, and as we're coming to our seat, there were more half-naked women down that other way. I said to myself, where are we going to go? If you go to the airport, you don't even have the ability to get away from stuff. So then, on the next plane in New York, we're about to get on the plane. No problems in New York. About to get on the plane, and all of a sudden, I hear rap music just loud, blasting behind me. I said, what's happening? And here's my little girl. Now, she's curious because she's only four years old, never heard or seen anything like this in her life. And behind us was this woman just blasting and jabbing her head and going on and on. And I noticed that my wife and I were two cherubims. You're not listening to me right now. And I'm a cherubim, and my wife's a cherubim, I'm a cherubim, and I'm protecting one of the most holy. Are you listening to me? And what I'm protecting her from is being tainted and her character and her name being destroyed. Do you understand? The cherubim had a responsibility. Now, I kept thinking about this. I said, Chair, God doesn't need to be protected, or does he? You see, the cherubim does something that other angels don't do. I want you to see Isaiah chapter 6. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, and beginning at verse 1. The cherubim does something that the other angels don't do, especially the anointed covering cherub. Isaiah chapter 6, and beginning at verse 1. Notice here what the Bible says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his what? Face. And with twain he covered his what? Feet. And with twain he did what? Wait a second. This angel, the seraphim, in the presence of God, covers his feet, covers his face, and he flies. But I want you to take note of this picture on the screen. You see this picture? Are these angels covering their faces? No, friends. The anointed covering cherub doesn't cover his face. The anointed covering cherub stretches one wing to touch the wing of the other angel, and he looks directly into the presence of God. Did you hear what I said? The anointed covering cherub does not cover his face. The anointed covering cherub looks directly into the presence of God. Now, mind you, this is Lucifer's position. Lucifer's position is to look into the character of God, and you tell me, what does Lucifer mean? It means light bearer. In other words, the light that he looked into, the character that he was beholding, he was to take what he saw and give the message or the representation of what he saw to others. Are you following me? This one that was in the most holy place, this one that got to see the awesomeness and the... Man, can you imagine? See, look at the angels in Isaiah 6. Notice what they do when they're in the presence of God. Verse 3 says, And one cried unto another and said, 
holy, holy, holy. Have you ever been in the presence of God like that? Where all you could say was holy? The natural response from being in God's presence is take off the shoes from off your feet. This is holy ground. Since chills up and down my back. If I know the scriptures as I think I do know them, the Bible says where two or three are gathered, he is in the midst. And if he is here, holy, holy. He's holy. The angels cry holy, and Lucifer himself cries holy. He knows what it is to be in the presence of God. And he leaves the presence of God and spreads lies. The one that was to be the protector of the name of God. You're not listening to me. The one that bore the character and the disposition of God now leaves from that character and then lies about who God is. I thought about it. I was thinking about it today. And I'm convinced that the most wicked people in the world are Christians. And even more wicked than Christians are Adventists. I want you to listen to what I'm saying to you. You see, we are the only people in all the world that have access to this message into the most holy place. We're the only ones in all the world. There is no other one. There are no other people. There are no other ones that have the access to God like we have. What do we leave from his presence and show to the world? That we're a club. Do you hear me? That we're comfortable amongst ourselves. That our money is for ourselves. Our education is for ourselves. Our singing, our preaching is for ourselves. The most wicked in all the world are Adventists. For they have access to the most holy place. A clear revelation of God's character and his person. And we still fight amongst each other and call each other names and backstab on each other and cheat on our wives and beat our children. I like the experience of Isaiah as he's in the most holy place. And he recognizes the awesomeness and the holiness and the reverence of God. And do you see Isaiah's own response? You see it here? In verse 5, he says, Then said I, woe is me. Woe is who? Woe is me. Why is it woe is me? If you go back to chapter 5 and you look at Isaiah, he's already preaching. In verse 8, in Isaiah 5, he says, woe unto them that join house to house. In verse number 20, it says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Verse 21 says, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. Verse 22, woe unto them that are mighty to drink strong drink. But in chapter 6, he says, woe is who? I mean, he's already engaged in ministry. He's already preaching and teaching. And then he gets to chapter 6. He meets God and he says, woe is me. Woe is me for I am undone. 
Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen who? Mine eyes have seen the king. Have your eyes seen the king, friends? I tell you the truth. If you've ever seen the king of kings, you would say, say much less about yourself. I tell you the truth, when you see the king of kings, you really won't feel good about yourself. Self-esteem will disappear. When you see the king of kings and you understand who it is that you are to represent in these final hours of his history, you'll stand back and you'll go and you'll look at the city of Los Angeles or you'll look at the city of Boston or you'll look at the city of New York and you'll say, how in the world are all these people going to see Jesus? Woe oh, is me, because I have no ability, no finances, no capabilities to get the message to the people. Help, Father. Help, Father. Help, Father. Woe is me. Revelation chapter, or actually Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28 highlights some of the things that Lucifer wore upon himself. You see these things here? I looked them up. The emerald, the topaz, the diamond, the girl, the, uh, the sapphire, the onyx stone. I looked them all up. I wanted to see how beautiful Lucifer was. I want you to see what happens to him as he's looking at himself. Ezekiel, chapter 28. Now listen now, he got kicked out of a family for a reason. He weakens the nation. He's attacking righteousness. Ezekiel 28, look at verse 13. Pay attention now. Verse 13 says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, emerald, and the carbuncle, and the gold. Jump down to verse number 15. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created, till iniquity was found in thee. Verse 16. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with what? Interesting. I, I asked the question, why violence? Why did God choose that word? Thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, or out of the family of God, or out of the kingdom of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Why? Why? Verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy what? Well, who gave him the beauty? Can I ask you a question? And I ask it respectfully to you. Are there things you like about yourself? Are there things you take pride in about yourself? I know we stand in the mirror quite a bit, bit of time, you know. Some of you are probably very smart, probably get straight A's at school. Some of you are probably very, I don't know, business savvy. I give you a, a slow warning. Take no thought of your own abilities. Take no thought of how someone says, oh, Brother Andre, that was a great sermon. That really, Do you know that's from Satan when you do that? 
The pen of respiration says, don't ever flatter a minister and tell him that his sermon was good. You know why? Because he can't handle it. We need to pray for each other. Our hearts, our hearts are corrupt. I don't, I don't know how to make it even more plain. We are so confused about what is right and what is wrong. And we would use religion to cover it up. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee as Cast thee to the ground, I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. I'm going to see if I can get to this quotation I saw today. Lucifer's cast out of heaven, he's thrown out of the most holy place. And when he's thrown out, friends, he leaves spreading lies about who God is. Now, I did a little bit of math. It says that one-third of the angels were thrown out, is that right? All right, so I did a little math. Let's go to the book of Daniel. Let's go to the book of Daniel. Let's do a little mathematics. Daniel chapter 7. Now, in Daniel 7, this is where judgment is taking place. We know this brings us to the year 1840 and 4. So we know for sure that what we read here in 1844 is after the fall. Is that all right? Is everybody willing to follow that line of logic so far? I know that some people believe that this is a figurative number. In other words, it's symbolic. And I agree with that idea. But I want you to know that it can't be anything less than the symbol. Did you hear what I said? So let's do a little mathematics. The Bible says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment is set. Books are open. Okay. Ten thousand times ten thousand. This is after the fall. 10,000 times 10,000 is what, friends? 100,000. It's 100 million. 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. And let's say 1,000 thousands. So let's say 1,000 times, just say 2,000. So 1,000 times 2,000 is what? What's 1,000 times 2,000? It's 2 million. Amen. You guys, you guys in school? You guys? All right, so it's two million, at least minimum. So we have 102 million angels in the throne room of God after the fall of those evil angels. Are you following me so far? All right, let's go a little further with this line of thinking. So this two-thirds is 102 million. Now, I can't take a third out of the 102 million because that will be less than, okay? So I'm going to add a third. Are you following? So this added third will be around 51 million fallen angels. Now, you must think about this for a few more seconds. If there are 51 million fallen angels, how are you going to win? That's it? I was thinking about it today. My little daughter gave me a wonderful illustration, but I won't tell you what she did. I'll just give the illustration. Let's say I woke up in the morning and I say, you know what? I got to get to work. 
and I run out of my house and I don't put clothes on, would that be a problem? That would be a problem? You would not dare run out of your house without putting clothes on. Well, why is it that we run out of our house spiritually naked? We'll run out, five-minute devotion, and run. You know why we do that? Because we think we have it together already. If I'm fighting an angel, now one angel, how many angels did I say? One angel came down and killed 185,000 soldiers when Hezekiah prayed. You know that? How many angels did I say? One angel. One angel came down from heaven on the resurrection day, and when he landed, the whole earth shook. How many angels? So how is it that you as a Christian believe that you're going to be spiritually safe and not make sure that you are linked with Jesus? Please explain that to me. How can you do it? I kept thinking about these things. I, I think about this often because the church is sleep. Whether it's in California or whether I'm in New Hampshire or whether I'm in Africa or wherever I'm preaching, the church in general is sleeping. It is not connected with the God of heaven, but we have the form, the religious activity without its power. And I just asked the question, if you have access to power, why not take advantage of power? Amen. If you have access to his presence, why not take advantage of the presence of the almighty God? Amen. Just a question. And you yourself only know the answer. I, you know how much time you spend with Jesus. You know whether or not you really love him. You know whether or not you come to hear superstars preach versus hearing Jesus preach. Amen. Do you know the most wonderful truths are not taught from a pulpit? I learned so much in my little bit of time with Jesus that I never get to share it. You understand? I never get to share what I learned. I can only give this much. And I pray, Father, please, will you just motivate everybody to spend a little bit more time with you? Amen. If you're used to following a man, if you're used to being motivated by the superstars, you're going to be lost. Did you hear me? Yes. If your joy only comes, if, I don't know, I don't want to say any names, but you know who your superstar is. I know, I know you know who your superstars are. And I beg you, I'm, I'm begging, I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you. you so this is California. This is, this is Los Angeles, city of Los Angeles. I'm begging you here in this place. If Jesus is going to come, he's going to need somebody. But he doesn't need many. You know, I promised the Lord a long time ago, I will preach whether there's no one in the pew or there's 5,000 in the pew. Amen. Do you know why I'm preaching? Do you know why I'm preaching? Because he told me to. Amen. Now, if that means the pew's going to turn into a Christian and go preach, that's so be it. Or maybe I'll turn into a Christian while I'm preaching. What are you called to do? 
No sooner is a Christian born in Jesus than he has this wonderful desire to go share him with someone else. Do you know why the church doesn't share? Because they don't know Jesus. You know, when I was marrying my bride, my bride, you guys know that wonderful lady? You don't know her, but I do. My bride. I wanted to take her everywhere I went. You know why I married her? I'll tell you more about why I married her on another day, but you want to know why I married her? Because God gave me permission to marry her. I didn't marry her because I was lonely. I didn't marry her so I can be complete. It's foolishness. I married her so I can share with her the experience that I've had with God. Ten thousand times ten thousand, fifty-one fallen angels. These angels were deceived. I want you to look at these verses. I usually don't put verses on the screen, but I want to compare verses with you. It says in John 8, 44, ye are of your father, who? And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from what? And abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Do you see there that he is a murderer from the beginning? In other words, he's already breaking the commandments. Notice here, the ancient and honorable, he is the head, and the prophet that teaches lies, he is the what? He is Lucifer. 1 John 3.15, whosoever hateth his what? Wait a second, remember, we read that there was a family in heaven. What did we read there was? Are you telling me that Lucifer hated someone in his family? Interesting. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Lucifer's kicked out of heaven, kicked out of the family. He's attacked righteousness, the foundation of God's throne. He comes down to planet earth, and he weakens the nations on earth by attacking righteousness. But we, even haven't, we haven't even got to the crux of the matter yet. I want you to see this here, Patriots and Prophets 41. Lucifer had at first so conducted his temptations that he himself stood uncommitted. The angels whom he could not bring fully to his side, he accused of indifference to the interests of the heavenly beings. The very work which he himself was doing, he charged upon what? I want you to watch this because this, was, this is what happens in churches. It was his policy to perplex with subtle arguments concerning the purposes of God. Everything that was simple, he shrouded in mystery. And by artful perversion, cast doubt upon the plainest statements of Jehovah and his high position, so closely connected with the divine government, gave greater force to his what? I thought about this too. I thought about my wife. You guys don't know her, but you know me a little bit more, right? You hear me talking? What if one day I come up here and I'm the preacher, you trust the preacher, you guys know how you trust the preachers, and the preacher gets up and he says, you know what, my wife is no good. Now how would you know that I was telling the truth versus she telling the truth, since she doesn't get up and preach? Well, you would trust the superstar, wouldn't you? 
You would trust the one that you are closer to, that you've used to come talking to. Here, Lucifer is the light bearer. He comes from the presence of God. Remember, the angels don't get to look. They cover their what? They cover their eyes. So he comes out from the presence of God, begins to insinuate doubt in regards to God's character. And the other angels, Spirit of Prophecy says, up to half of them at one point had sided with him. Until an evangelistic campaign went on in heaven. And the good angels went around and told the other angels, hey, God's character is not like this. God does not behave. God is not selfish. God doesn't want you just to worship him because he wants you to worship him. There is a reason why we serve. Listen to that word. What did I say? There's a reason why we what? There's a reason why we serve. I want to read this to you. Book Education. You guys know this book? First chapter. I suggest that you make this a, a case study. First chapter, first, first paragraph. True education means more than the perusal of a certain course of study. It means more than a preparation for the life that is now. So it's more than books, is right? It's more than just having a life now on planet Earth. What is it? It has to do with the whole being and with the whole period of existence possible to man. It is the harmonious development of the physical, mental, and spiritual powers. What is the harmonious development of the physical, mental, spiritual powers? True education. Watch. It prepares the student for the joy of service. What does true education prepare the student for? The joy of service. Now, there's a possibility that you can serve being mad. You can serve being upset. I don't want to do this. I have young people do that all the time. I don't do dishes. I got to get up for kitchen prep. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm doing kitchen prep. So they don't have the joy of service. Well, what about missionary work? Hey, church, let's go out and knock on some doors. Knock on doors. Not everyone's called to do knock on doors. I mean, I've heard people say this. Well, so what do you want to do? Um, let's just have a Bible study in the church. Well, tell me, if you have a Bible study in the church, how is the person every eight seconds commit suicide? Let's count again. Let's do eight seconds again. Ready? Somebody committed suicide while we're here in our pews. Every eight seconds. Let's think about it a little further. There are young boys and young girls who are being molested by men and women while we sit in our pews. And somebody says, oh, let's go knock on doors. No, let's have a Bible setting in church. We don't love, friends. We don't have the joy of service. Let's just admit it. Let's just be real. I'm real about it. I don't always like to knock on doors. I don't always like to do it. But there's something that has to happen to me in order for this joy of service to be created within. We're not done yet. Watch this. Here, creation. On creation day, let there be what? And there was light. He spoke it and it was done. Is that right? Next day was what? Let there be firmament. Next day was what? 
the seas and the dry land. Next day was what? Sun, moon, and stars. The next day was what? Birds and fish. The next day was what? Man and beast. And then on the seventh day, he what? I want you to think for a moment. Tell me, which one of these things are for itself? Which one of these things exists for his own purposes? Each one of these creations are designed to be dependent upon the other. Each one. None of it is self-serving. All of it is giving. All of it is serving something else. I read something that was so strange to me. I'll read it to you. Isn't this book education? I was reading. I just like to read things, right? So I get to the 43rd page, the third paragraph, and it says something so strange. Watch this. By the distribution of land among the people, God provided for them as for the dwellers in Eden, the occupation most favorable for their development. Wait, read it one more time because I read it fast and I didn't put it on the screen. Watch this. By the distribution of land. By the distribution of what? By the distribution of land among the people, God provided for them, as for the dwellers in Eden, the occupation most favorable to their development. What occupation do you think that was? The care of plants and animals. What? The care of plants and animals? God gave them land and animals for their development? Do you mean that me having a pet is teaching me how to be non-selfish, if that's a word? I remember when my daughter was born, and I thought I loved, you know, me and my wife, we love each other. And my little girl was born. She comes out. She can't change her own diaper. Right? But I love her. So you know what I did without complaining? Not one time did I complain when she was a baby. When she got bigger, you know, then we had a conversation. But when she was a baby, baby, we had to change that diaper. I wiped that diaper with glee. I smelled that poopy, no problem. She peed herself, no problem. She had to go to the bathroom. She had to get washed, no problem. Why did I do that? Because I loved her. Unselfish service. Well, I didn't know I had that in me. I tell you the truth, for you people in your diaper, I may not want to do that. We have at our church, at our church is quite unique. There are church members who take care of older disabled persons. Do you know what they have to do for those persons? Take them to the bathroom. Wipe them. Hug them. Feed them. That's love. Do you know why God likes medical missionary work? Do you think it's because we can throw some herbs together and heal people? No. You know why he likes it? Because it brings you close to them. It brings you close. Well, explain something to me, friends. If in your own church you don't like each other, if in your own church you have cliques, if in your own church there are all these different things going on behind people's back, talking about people behind their back, tell me, how does that exemplify heaven? 
does it. So how can people come into the church and find Jesus? Unselfish service. If his own people don't love him. How will they even know what Jesus looks like if you don't show them what he looks like? It's complicated to me. My mind gets agitated with this thought. I want you to see these last few thoughts here. Genesis 3.15, we're going to bypass that. But in Genesis, you know the story. Adam, Adam and Eve. Eve takes from the fruit. When she eats the fruit now, do you understand that when she eats the fruit, she herself now becomes a conduit by which Satan is able to tempt Adam? Did I say that properly? You see, here at the tree, sin was isolated. Sin couldn't go anywhere. Sin was right here. So Adam was over here. Sin was right there. No problem. When Eve goes over to the tree and she takes from the tree and she eats it, she now becomes a mobile tree. Are you listening to me? She now becomes a mobile tree, and now Adam has a decision to make. Will I eat from this Eve tree? My wife. And when she eats from the tree, or when he eats from her, sin has unwanted power. I'll show you, I'll give you the example. There's the tree. Sin is relegated to that one location. But then sin gets out of control. Blank is the earth. That's why I can go to the airport and sin's right there. I can come to church and sin's in here. There's nowhere I can go on planet earth where sin is not. Nowhere. Except for in one place. Well, I'm going to tell you where that one place is. Abraham. Everybody knows Abraham? We're going to finish here in a few moments. Everybody knows who Abraham is. Is that right? I want to share a secret with you. Abraham received a special promise. Go with me to Genesis. And we're studying. I'm just sharing with you. I'm studying with you. Less preaching, more teaching. Amen? Genesis chapter 12, I believe. Genesis chapter 12. And watch, watch carefully. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a what kind of nation? nation. Question, how are nations made great? By righteousness. Are you listening to me? Abraham, I'm going to take you from this place, and I'm going to make you a great nation. Well, how are nations made great? By righteousness. I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and, I, and thou shalt be a blessing. Thou shalt be a what? And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall what? All what? All families shall be blessed. Wait a second. Remember, Lucifer's kicked out of heaven. He's kicked out of the heavenly family. 
He weakens the nation. He lies about the character of God, the person of God, who God is. Here now God makes a promise to a man and tells this man, I'm going to make your nation great, and I'm going to make sure that your family is a blessing to all families. Wait. I'll just go a little further. You see this here? Society is composed of what? Oh. Society is composed of families, and is what the heads of families make it. Make what? The family. What the heads of family make family, that's what the family is. Out of the heart are the issues of life, and the heart of the community, and of the church, and of the nation is the what? Is the, is the household, the heart, is the house, wait, the well-being of society, the success of the church, the prosperity of the nation depend upon what kind of influences? Wait. You see, for a long time, I thought it was just us preaching the message. Did you think about that? Then I started coming across writings of Sister White, and I started reading. The greatest missionary field is the home. Hmm. So my greatest missionary field is not here on this pulpit. Even if they've called me to China, and I began to preach between 5 million people, do you know what the greatest missionary field is? My house. Huh. Five million people? Two people. The greatest missionary field is the home. Wait. Let's read it one more time. Let's take our time and think about what is being said here. Society is composed of families. Would churches be composed of families? Yes, is that right? Okay, so if churches are composed of families, societies are composed of families, nations are composed of families, then if Satan weakens the nations, what does he really weaken? Satan's weakening the family. Watch this, Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, look at verse 16. Notice here what the Bible says. Listen carefully to me, friends, because if, if you miss this, you miss everything, and I don't want you to miss everything. I want you to get this. In Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 16, notice here what the Bible says. And the men rose up from thence. This is after God had come to visit the family of Abraham. And looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Can I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely be a what? Great and what? Mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I what? For I know him. Do you understand what that just said? 
For I know him, what do you know about him? That he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Hmm. This just said to me, at least to me, maybe it didn't say it to you, but it said it to me, that God said, I can trust Abraham with top secret information. I can trust Abraham with my secrets because I know Abraham will teach his family how to keep my commandments. I know that I can trust Abraham with prophetic information. Listen to me. I know I can trust Abraham with prophetic information because he will keep my laws and teach his family, his manservant, his maidservant after the order of heaven. Genesis Genesis 26 verse 5. Go to Genesis 26 and verse 5. Notice God is recommitting or restating this covenant with Isaac. Notice what it says here and why God is about to do this. God is speaking to Isaac. And he says this to to, to him, beginning at verse, let's start at verse number four. It says, and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of what? And I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be what? Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments and my statutes and my laws. This is why God says, I can trust Abraham with my secrets. Because I know he's going to teach his family the ways of righteousness. Society is composed of families. And is what the, what is that word? Heads of family make. It's what the heads of family make it. Go with me to the book of Galatians. And we're going to have to stop. If you don't stop me, I can easily go beyond my time. You know, at school, I teach, I teach at the missionary training school. We have hour and a half blocks. Some days we have three-hour, four-hour blocks, and I go straight through, no problem. So I don't want to do that to you. Amen. Galatians chapter 3. And I want us to start at verse number six. It says, even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for what? Know ye therefore that they which are of faith are the, are the same, the same are the children of who? And the scripture seeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preach before the gospel. What did he preach before the gospel? Preached before the gospel unto who? How did, how did God preach the gospel to Abraham? Notice what it says. In thee shall all nations be what? Wait a second. Do you mean that in that phrase was the gospel? In that phrase was the secret of how all nations would be blessed. Notice, jump down to verse 
we're at number, number 9, 10, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law under the curse of the law, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. I want us to jump down to verse number 16. And see verse 16, see what it says there. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as many, but as of one. And that seed is what? That seed is Jesus. You see, in thee shall all nations be blessed. What's the foundation of the home, Jesus? Uh, uh, what is the foundation? I gave you the answer. What's the foundation of the home? Jesus is. Why is Jesus the foundation of the home? Say it again. Because he's our righteousness. Last three verses. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1. And you know this by heart. In thee shall all nations be blessed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was who? The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14. And the Word was made flesh. What was the word made? Remember Psalms 33, verse 6 and 9 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his, by the breath of his mouth. Now that same word now takes on human form. The Bible says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? What is in the grace of what is in the what is in the glory of God? What two parts are in the, in the in the in the character of God? Grace and truth. Verse eighteen, last verse. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he have what? Remember, Lucifer leads the presence of God. Lies about who God is, lies about the person of God, the objectives of God, saying that God is selfish. But who was really selfish? Lucifer was. Saying that God just wants you to serve him because he's trying to dictate and control your life. But who was really trying to do that? Lucifer. And then the Bible says that God became flesh and dwelt among us. God took on the form of a servant. He said, true education, I'm not just going to tell you about it. I'm going to show you the joy of service. I'm going to share with you what it is like to leave all, to give all. My simple question this evening, real simple. This was not anything profound. It was very simple. You recognize tonight that you don't have a heart like God's heart. 
I want you to just think in your heart and mind. Tonight, I want you to recognize, if you haven't recognized, I don't have a heart like God's heart. If anything, I have a heart very similar to Lucifer's heart. Self, self, self. If you recognize you have a heart like that tonight, I want you to raise your hand. You know you have a heart like that? Well, that's at least the first step, amen? I recognize that I have a heart for myself. I want my wife to serve me. I want my daughter to serve me. I want the church to serve me. And God says, let me show you what I really want for you. He said, I sent my son. God of the universe. I gave my son to humanity. And I gave my son to humanity to have human flesh and blood forever. He didn't say he lent Jesus to us. He wasn't alone. He gave his son. He gave his son. I just want you to think for a few moments. Just think of your life. Think on your life. Think of what you've done with your life. What have you done with it? I gave my life for thee. Do you know 281? You have a hymnal. Is there a hymnal in front of you? Let's sing 281 together.
just take a few minutes and give God our hearts. Is that all right? Let's kneel together. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your your sacrifice. The enemy has done a job on us, Lord, causing us to think that you have withheld something from us, causing us to think, Father, that the ways of evil are better than the things of good. And we have followed him hook, line, and sinker, Father. We, as your people, have had access to your most holy place. And even with this great light, Father, we have turned from what we should be doing. But Father, help us to see your Son. And we ask now, Father, that you take our hearts, for we cannot give them. They are your property. We ask that you keep them, Father, for we cannot keep them ourselves. And we ask, Lord, that you raise us into a pure and holy atmosphere, that the rich currents of your love may flow through our souls. Please, Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Thank you.